Thank you, Simon. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name's Ollie, if I haven't met you. Uh, tonight, I'm really excited. We're in part two of the anatomy of salvation. Last week, we had our open heart surgery as we saw how desperately hopeless we are in our sinful nature. But tonight, I'm hoping that we will have a fresh encounter with the great healer. I know some of you are coming here tonight and you're feeling broken. You're feeling uh, stuck in sin or pride or some of you are lost. But I hope with me that we will be captivated again by the beauty and the wonder of God's grace. At the end of uh, this message, we're going to be sharing in the Lord's Supper as well. And I do want to apologize that we ran out of uh, the... um, sort of bread cup duo things here, but uh, it will still be a meaningful time, I hope, as we reflect and as we consider what that means for us. Uh, so I invite you to have your Bibles open. We're in Romans chapter 3. We've just heard it read. Um, let's get ready to dig into God's Word tonight uh, as we dissect how God is our healer and ask Him to transform us to be the people that He's called us to be. So I invite you, uh, let's pray together as we come to God's Word tonight. Oh Lord God, uh, many of us have heard this message again and again, but we pray that we would see with fresh eyes how wonderful is your grace. So Lord, we just invite you to speak through your word, uh, grow us and transform us to be the people you've called us to be. Amen. Uh, There's a saying goes that there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's always a catch, right? Anyone heard that? Maybe you believe that. Um, Or is there such thing as a free lunch? I mean, as Christians, we love to talk about how amazing grace is because it's undeserved. It's free. No strings attached. But we do need to consider what we're saying there because grace did have a high price. Uh, So this is the question we're going to be asking tonight. How much does grace cost? How much does grace cost? cost because you know we we often tend towards one of two sides either on one side we say grace costs nothing it has no price and therefore what we end up doing is just living however we like living however we please because we're forgiven and so our life is is no different except for the fact that we've got this a shiny golden ticket in our hands that takes us to heaven and that's it you know i remember going through a phase in year four where i join in with all the other kids in swearing and teasing others, and then asking God's forgiveness that night, knowing full well that tomorrow I would be doing the exact same thing. Grace was cheap. It was just a get-out-of-jail-free card. But you know, still today, when confronted with temptation, often this little seed of thought comes, right? Your sin will be forgiven, so why not indulge? This is a grace that costs nothing approach. On the other hand, on the other side of the coin, we can only think that grace does have a price, that it costs us something. You know, we accept God's grace, but we feel like we owe it to God to please Him and to earn His favor. It's a common view amongst Catholics having to earn merit. But you know, in practice, we do the same stuff. When we fail and we fall short, we start to doubt if we are really forgiven by God. 
and the more we travel down this road, our failures again and again drive us away from God as if it was our works in the first place that gave us favour with him. And then what happens, like Martin Luther, before his conversions, we begin to despise God and his holiness. So grace is not free then. So does grace cost something or does it cost nothing? What I want us to see from this passage from Romans is how grace, at the same time, costs nothing as it costs everything. It costs nothing as it costs everything. Unless we see it both ways, we're going to distort the truth and the wonder and the beauty of the gospel. This is the mystery of the anatomy of salvation. The hope for you and for me. The hope and the healing for the world. So you ready? Let's dig in, shall we? Okay? Let's do it. Come with me. Verse 21. Verse 21, chapter 3. But now... The most beautiful words in the Bible. But now, in light of everything that has come before, that humanity is utterly under the power of sin and rightly subject to God's wrath, come these words as if the dark clouds are parting and the sun's rays beam through. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So let's ask, how much did grace cost? Well, God's righteousness is revealed apart from the law. In other words, we don't earn it. We don't pay anything for it. This righteousness is given. You don't pay for gifts. You receive gifts. That's the whole definition of a gift. This gift is received through faith in Jesus to anyone and everyone who believes. Let me explain faith. Faith is knowing, it's accepting, and it's trusting. Faith is that we know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for me and that he's risen to new life and is is king. But it's more than that. We also accept that that this is applied to and is good for me. And perhaps most significantly then, faith requires personal trust in Jesus as a person. That That trust in Jesus is to hand our lives over to him, to trust him with our lives completely, fully dependent. See, rather than coming to God with our hands full of of good works, instead we come to God with open, empty, but dependent hands, ready to grab hold of his gift. That's faith. How much did grace cost? Well, we don't pay, we receive. We receive his righteousness as a gift apart from works. So how? How is it that we get his righteousness? Well, then, as we continue, Paul acknowledges what we looked at last week. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nothing that we bring to the table. Nothing we pay. No amount of privilege or wealth or good works could get us there. All have sinned and therefore all fall short. And all are justified, what? Freely. 
freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. How much did grace cost? Justified freely. Redemption by Christ Jesus. Two words there, justification and redemption. What do they mean? Justification, redemption. Well, I like to think of it in terms of the law and in terms of economy. So justification is a legal term, so think judge, lawyers, all that kind of stuff. Whereas redemption is economical, think of of debt. Justification is the legal status given to those who believe. No longer do we stand guilty before the judge, deserving of punishment. Instead, as Paul, he writes to the Colossians and he says these amazing words. He says, he forgave us all our sins having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Justification, this is final. This is our new, present, and eternal status. The judge pronounces us not guilty, justified, secured for eternity. It's justification. And redemption. Redemption comes from this idea of purchasing a slave's freedom. A slave would be redeemed when someone paid off what was owed and set them free. So redemption is the clearing of debt. Our redemption has been paid in full so that we can be justified freely. I know that this is not new to many of you. But I do know that quick, quickly many of us are failing to appreciate that grace costs nothing. It's the difference between God forgiving sins and God forgiving the sinner. Explain that again. It's God justifying sins and God justifying the sinner. You see the difference? So many of us, I know, are tired and burdened because we're playing the game where we have to measure up. We have to perform to be accepted. We never truly reveal what's going on in our thoughts or behind closed doors or in another life that we're living on a Saturday night because we think that it's going to discredit our standing before God and so we just want to hide it away. Or maybe you're carrying shame because you failed to spend time with God this week and you're cold towards God because you never feel like you can please him you can never even match up to your own standards you keep measuring your relationship to God by the performance of your week yet as Jerry Bridges writes our worst days are never so bad that they are beyond the reach of God's grace And our best days are never so good that they are beyond the need of God's grace. Because grace costs nothing. Grace is free. We can know the fullness of peace and security in Christ, resting in faith in Him. And therefore, because grace is free, there should be no place for boasting jump down with me verse 27 Paul says where then is boasting it is excluded because of what law 
The law that requires work? No! Because of the law that requires faith, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Grace is the gift of God. So let none of us boast as if we contributed anything to our standing before God or to our new status. See, when we, are, when we have our faith in Christ, we are clothed in his righteousness. And so when God sees us, he does not see an object of his wrath anymore. He sees Christ's righteousness. That's our standing. So how could we ever look down at others thinking of ourselves that we deserved it more? Grace costs nothing. Rather, our hearts should be full of gratitude, of worship, of adoration. But there's a danger, however, to see this free grace as cheap grace. Let me say that again. The difference between free grace and cheap grace. This was the question, question asked by a German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In the rise of the Nazi Germany in the 1930s, uh, parts of the German church had just been swept up in this patriotic zeal. And instead of preaching God's word prophetically to their culture, they compromised on scripture. They literally deleted parts of it to suit themselves and instead enjoying and trying to keep hold of their power and their privilege. And so into this world, Bonhoeffer comes and he writes this about grace. Grace that is free, but that's not cheap. And so I want to read this to you, and I want you to listen carefully, because grace, by definition, is the free gift. But notice that it's not cheap, it actually is costly. Uh, Let me read to you this from uh, his book, The Cost of Discipleship. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? And he continues, he says, What cheap grace is, is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. You see how they've cheapened grace. On the other hand, he says, costly grace is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You are bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us above all it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life but delivered him up for us how much how much did grace cost well grace cost nothing it is a gift but really grace 
cost everything. And unless we appreciate the cost, we'll end up cheapening grace. God did not and could not simply just brush aside wickedness. If that were so, we could kiss goodbye to any, any morality or justice to the universe. If sin, evil, wickedness were never dealt with, we would cry out, as so many do in ignorance, that God is unfair, God is not good. And we know that evil demands a price. Rather, the payment for sin. Ever since the first animal died to cover Adam and Eve's shame, the payment was blood. Yet the blood of animals could never, never truly satisfy the enormity of debt owed before a holy God. So true to his character, God could not continue to be holy and just and leave sin unpunished. And so against this backdrop of human hopelessness, the love and the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the beauty and the compassion of God breaks in as he stands in our place. That's what it means to be a substitute. Our substitute needed to represent us in our humanity. That's Jesus as he comes as a man. Yet carry the fullness of God to be able to bear the fullness of wrath deserved. And so, verse 25, come with me. Let's look at this. Verse, 20, verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So you've seen justification is this legal term, redemption, economical. Atonement, the sacrifice of atonement, is really relational. It literally means at one It's the means by which something that is broken is, is restored. And that means was a sacrifice of blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. The propitiation, meaning to satisfy the rightful anger against the wrong party. To, to propitiate, this means to satisfy wrath. Jesus was that sacrifice, that propitiation. How much did grace cost? It cost everything. It cost Jesus the wrath of God for all time, for all brokenness, for all sin upon him. And when we treat grace as cheap and we reduce it just, just a ticket into heaven, I don't think we've fully appreciated the cost. I want to read to you guys a quote from Charles Spurgeon um, because I feel like it captures the weightiness of grace and the response to the cost. Uh, this poem has really served to minister to my heart um, and I hope to, it encourages you to get this weightiness of the cost and the beauty and the glory of grace. It goes like this and, and hopefully you can follow along. Could there be a sweeter word in any language than that word forgiveness? 
when it sounds in a guilty sinner's ear, like the silver notes of jubilee to the captive Israelite. Blessed, forever blessed, be that dear star of pardon which shines into the condemned cell and gives the perishing a gleam of hope amid the midnight of despair. Can it be possible that sin, such sin as mine, can be forgiven, forgiven altogether and forever? Hell is my portion as a sinner. There is no possibility of my escaping from it while sin remains upon me. Can the load of guilt be uplifted, the crimson stain removed? Can the unbreakable stones of my prison house ever be loosed from their mortises? Or the doors be lifted from their hinges? Jesus tells me that I may yet be clear. Forever blessed be the revelation of atoning love which not only tells me that pardon is possible, but that it is secured to all who rest in Jesus. I have believed in the appointed propitiation, even Jesus crucified, and therefore my sins are at this moment and forever forgiven by virtue of his substitutionary pains and death. What joy is this? What bliss to be a perfectly pardoned soul. My soul dedicates all her powers to him who of his own unpurchased love became my surety and wrought out for me redemption through his blood. What riches of grace does free forgiveness exhibit to forgive at all to forgive fully, to forgive freely, to forgive forever. Here is a constellation of wonders. And when I think of how great my sins were, how dear were the precious drops which cleansed me from them, and how gracious was the method by which pardon was sealed home to me, I am in a maze of wondering, worshipping affection. I bow before the throne which absolves me. I clasp the cross which delivers me. I serve henceforth all my days the incarnate God through whom I am this night, a pardoned soul. How much did grace cost for you? It cost everything. And so our response rightly should be to give everything. I love this. For our souls to dedicate all her powers, everything. I think the last line of this poem so captures what our response should be and what I think Paul moves us towards. I'll read it again. I bow before the throne which absolves me. I clasp the cross. I cling to the cross which delivers me. I serve Henceforth, all my days, the incarnate God. I bow, I clasp, or I, I cling, I serve. I bow, I clasp, I serve. Firstly, I bow. I jump down, verse 26. Again, Paul says he did it to demonstrate his righteousness. The grace of God gives God the glory, not us. 
Costly grace magnifies God, not ourselves. And as we spoke before, then there's no place for boasting in ourselves. So have you bowed before God's throne? Does God take the place in your heart as the rightful king and center of this universe? I know I need this humbling too. We all do. The grace that is free, that cost everything, should move us to, to surrender, to bow, to worship, to worship our king. Secondly, our response, I clasp, I cling to the cross which delivers me. You know, I both love this picture, but I also really struggle with it. I don't like it because I want to be standing up offering God something and and taking pride there. You know, I did that. But instead, as we picture Christ shedding his blood for us on the cross, standing between us and hell, we can do nothing but cling. Cling to the cross. Cling to Christ. And this is the faith that we see mentioned again and again and again in this passage. It says, given through faith, received through faith, he justified those who have faith in Jesus. Don't count on your own works. Cling to the cross. Cling, cling to Jesus. You know, some of you are sitting here tonight and, and you've mentally assented that Jesus is uh, true but you're yet to trust him with your life. What are you waiting for? If God is drawing you and you've heard his word tonight, do not delay. Take his hand. Cling to that cross and the full assurance of justification, of peace with God, of security with him in eternity, in heaven, is yours to claim tonight. And finally, I serve. I serve henceforth all my days the incarnate God. Costly grace should cost us everything. But really, it's nothing. The cost is nothing in comparison to what we gain. Uh, There's a a famous um, missionary and martyr uh, named uh, Jim Elliot who said, he is no fool who... Uh, loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The grace of God, you see, doesn't nullify our call to lay down our life or to follow him or to live righteously. Rather, it empowers us to do it. Come with me, verse 31. This is the question. Do we then nullify the law by by this faith? Not at all. By no means. Rather, we uphold the law. See, God's grace stirs our heart towards service, stirs our hearts towards holiness, not complacency, not compromise. You know, maybe you know all this theoretical stuff about justification and redemption and atonement, but does it change your life? Has it changed your life? As you leave here tonight, as you... Spend your days. What difference does God's grace make to you? When you're posting on social media, when 
You walk past the international student in your class. When you turn on the TV, you're flicking through YouTube. When you hear that there are needs in your community group, needs in your neighborhood, when there are people around you who are needing to be discipled and helped to follow Jesus, how is God's grace moving? See, this is my heart. This is my heart and my prayer for this community. People who are so deeply transformed by grace. Anchored in your identity in Jesus. I love that picture of an anchor that will not fail. A community that is hungry for God's presence. Just, I love that in a maze of wondering, worshipping affection. I, that's what I want to be and I, and I want us to be. And on mission for his cause on mission for the cause of Christ, knowing that he has paid everything for us. So it's nothing for us to lay down our lives and to sacrifice for him. He's so worth it. He is so worth it. So we're going to come to this time in our gathering as we, as we spend this time together. We're going to participate together in the Lord's Supper. I'm going to invite the band up too as we, as we share in this. Uh, the Lord's Supper is a chance for us to remember and refocus our minds, our hearts, our bodies, literally as we physically take these symbols. And we remember what Jesus did for us, what the cost was. It cost everything. That Christ's body was broken for us. A picture of the bread that Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him is that as the bread breaks, we remember that Jesus' body was broken. And that picture of, as we drink the cup, we remember that he was that sacrifice of atonement. His blood spilt. His blood spilt for us so that we could be at one with God, fellowship with him. And so as we share this time together, I want to encourage you to respond, thinking about bowing, clasping, and serving. To bow, to, to cling, to, and, and serving. Think about those three things and as we, uh, a chance for us as we take and partake in, this, uh, in these symbols, for us to worship, for us to confess, and to reflect on these postures in your life. But we, before we get, uh, before I'm going to ask you to eat the bread, I'd like to lead us together in, in a corporate reading of this poem. And I want us to say it out loud uh, because... I know there's some hard words in there, but we'll push through because I want us to hear these truths for ourselves. And after we've read this together, uh, encouraging one another, uh, there'll be a moment for us to, to stop and reflect and to eat the bread. And then after some time, I'll come up and I'll invite you together to stand up and we'll drink the cup in unity together, remembering Jesus' blood spilt for us. So. Uh, I'm going to ask the tech guys, there's the words on the screen there, hopefully you can see, and, and I'll lead us together in reading. We're just going to sit and read, and then um, there'll be a time to reflect, reflect on these words, and reflect on what Christ has done for us. So let's read together. Forever blessed be the revelation of atoning love, which not only tells me that pardon is possible, but that it is secured to all who rest in Jesus. I have believed in the appointed sacrifice, even Jesus crucified, 
And therefore, my sins are at this moment and forever forgiven by virtue of his substitutionary pains and death. What joy is this? What bliss to be a perfectly pardoned soul. My soul dedicates all her powers to him who of his own unpurchased love became my surety and wrought out for me redemption through his blood. What riches of grace does free forgiveness exhibit? To forgive at all, to forgive fully, to forgive freely, to forgive forever. Here is a constellation of wonders. And when I think of how great my sins were, how dear were the precious drops which cleansed me from them, and how gracious was the method by which pardon was sealed home to me, I am in a maze of wondering, worshipping affection. I bow before the throne which absolves me. I clasp the cross which delivers me. I serve henceforth all my days the incarnate God through whom I am this night a pardon soul.